It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed? You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And good afternoon, and welcome to this very special edition of the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. This is our green show, our once-a-month green magazine exclusively for nonprofit organizations. Today is Friday, June 17th. I'm coming to you live from the nation's capital. Those of you who are familiar with the Nonprofit Coach radio show uh, know that we always start with page one news. Just a few reminders here on the nonprofit coach is you can call in to 347-324-3080. This is a live call-in show, uh, and today you'll have the opportunity to speak with our page two expert, Robin Hessinger, who is CARE2's editor-in-chief and a recognized expert in the green movement for nonprofit organizations. Next up here on page one news, I also want to remind you that in addition to calling into the show, you can also join us in the chat room. I do see uh, folks over in the chat room, and if you'd prefer to ask a question, you can also email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. You can follow along in the radio links, as always, by going to tedhart.com, click on radio, and you will find all of today's green radio links. First up here on page one news is a notation from Together Green. Uh, four Together Green conservationists have been honored with the Audubon Toyota Mentor Award. I draw your attention to this not only to draw attention to the wonderful work of uh, these four mentors, but also to draw attention to the Together Green Project. On the website that we have in the radio links today, you can nominate someone. You can also learn more about how this program seeks to promote people, projects, and volunteers. Read all about that in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. You can also join us. This is a partnership with greennonprofits.org, so the exact same information is available at greennonprofits.org in the resources. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coaches, we want to draw attention here on the Green Show to just a wonderful photo. You'll find the photo in the radio links, but also a link over to the photo. And bravo to Stephanie Vetter, who won the first place in the 2011 International Photo Contest. Uh, and uh, she won this for an absolutely stunning photo of, uh, for the International Earth and Sky Photo Contest. Uh, so take a look at that. It's absolutely breathtaking. Uh, the winning photo is entitled A Starry Night of Iceland uh, and displays the Milky Way, uh, which was framed by the dancing ring of the northern lights. Really spectacular uh, photo. Check that out in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Click on radio. You can also find them at greennonprofits.com. 
nonprofitcoach.org. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, we want to just share with you a little clip uh, from a Greening Your Office, some information on Energy Star. Now, the reason why we're sharing this with you is to remind you of the Green Nonprofit Certification Program and earning points towards certification. Part of that is being energy efficient, so let's take a listen. To energy savings at home, turning off lights, unplugging gadgets, and using more efficient appliances. But do you take that same care at the office? If not, you may soon. Dan Goldstein tells us about offices being required to track energy use, which could very well trickle down to your cubicle. If you work in the District of Columbia and want to know how green your office is, now you can, thanks to a law this year for buildings over 50,000 square feet. That means property managers like Kathy Barnes are getting ready for big changes. So it's the new law is going to require uh, office buildings to have Energy Star certification, uh, which means that they need to benchmark their buildings and sort of manage the, the electrical consumption that their building is consuming. Barnes is Senior Vice President with Ackridge in the district. Her company has 10 energy certified properties in the city. The new law isn't an unfunded mandate from bureaucrats, she says, but an opportunity. That Energy Star label sort of designates your, your operating expenses and your, uh, your building as sort of being affordable. That's, that's one of the things that, that's so good about that. And, you know, utilities are the largest single controllable cost that we have in a building. And if you're a building owner and you're not focusing in on that, then you're going to actually sort of let yourself fall out the market. And it's a competitive advantage, she says. Ackridge saves about a third on energy costs by making their buildings compliant. Savings they can pass on to their tenants especially in office vacancies in the city, are more than 10%, even in the high-demand office market of Washington. That's doubly important in a government town like D.C., with one out of four tenants working for Uncle Sam. If you want to sign a federal tenant to a lease, your building has to be at the highest end of the Energy Star ratings. And it's not only cities like Washington, D.C. that are requiring commercial buildings to show how they're going green. Other cities are getting into the act as well. In terms of cities, you have Washington, D.C., uh, New York City, Austin, Texas, and Seattle. Cliff Majerzyk of the Institute for Market Transformation, which wrote the D.C. law, says a commercial property's value could soon be enhanced or hurt, depending how much or how little. It's important to understand how you can save on the overall bottom line for your organization by being energy efficient. Uh, this is a reminder that those who are in the cities that were listed uh, today certainly have more of an opportunity because that is being tracked if you are renting space. If you're not, however, it's important that you understand the energy that you're using and to take uh, concrete steps to reduce your carbon footprint. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, and you'll find these over at tedhart.com, click on radio links, uh, is a note from CARE2. This is a guide to creating a green office environment. Really terrific uh, tips uh, that you can share, very practical tips, uh, which will be very much the basis of our discussion today with Robin Hessinger. Don't forget that when we get to uh, page two expert today, you will be able to dial in to 347 324 3080. Make sure that you press the number one that will raise your hand on the switchboard and let me know that you would like to ask a question of our page two expert. You can also join us in, this, uh, in the chat room or email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Now this is a, a particular pleasure uh, for me uh, to welcome uh, my next guest here on the Nonprofit Coach. Barbara Jesse Black is the Executive Director of the PTA Thrift Shop uh, in Carborough, North Carolina. They are taking a lead in their industry in going green and it's my pleasure today uh, to welcome here on page one Barbara Jesse Black here on the Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show. Barbara, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Ted, for having me on. Um, it's a true pleasure and an honor. Um, I'm, I'm always interested in what's happening in other parts of the country with regards to nonprofits going green, so I'm happy to share about my organization. Absolutely. This uh, show is a partnership with GreenNonprofits.org, and the uh, focus of that organization is to help all charities go green using very practical steps. And I'm wondering if you can share with us today how it is that you got your organization so dedicated to going green and maybe a couple of tips that were early on that might help some of the other listeners today. Sure. Well, just a little brief outline of what our organization actually is. So we're a 60-year-old nonprofit 
um, where all of our net profits go to support the Chapel Hill Carborough City School District. And our um, revenue per year is around a million four, a million five. And so I give you that information just to let you know that we do it all off of donated goods, which means that people bring us their goods to sell. And, you know, a lot of that, about half of what we get is unsellable. And for us, unsellable means that it cannot be put on the sales floor for a variety of reasons. So what happens to the 50% that we actually can't sell? Um, we do very well. We try to put only 20% of what's unsellable into the landfill, which is huge when you think of the tonnage that uh, most resellers get. So think of your goodwills of the world um, who, and your Salvation Armies who get just a ton of merchandise that they can't sell. So we've actually found outlets to create revenue um, in, in how we dispose of those. So we have an unsellable textile program. Uh, whereby we keep about 300 tons of unsellable textiles annually out of the landfill. Um, those get culled for rags and get sent overseas to be reused or repurposed. And, and also the entity that create, that, with whom we work on, in that regard also uses that to create jobs. So we're kind of, you know, we're sort of paying it forward with regards to how, how we dispose of that. We also have a scrap metal program. Um, we get inundated with old washers, dryers, you know, all of those sorts of things that really end up in the landfill. Those also get recycled and repurposed, um, and and we do that with an organization in Raleigh who who is a green, who are they're a green organization um, who actually take the time to separate things out and make sure that the items get either crushed, sort of the large metal pieces, or the cords and get stripped for copper and, and all of those sorts of metals. Um, so, you know, and those are metals you don't want to have in the landfill, so it's important exactly, for charities exactly, uh, to be thinking through that process. And that sort of thing. So for us, because we're a nonprofit, we always look for ways to dispose of our unsellables in such a way that we can um, add additional revenue to our revenue stream and that the folks or the organizations with whom we partner on that disposal are responsible organizations so that there's not a, you know, we don't just dump it onto somebody and then they dump it in the landfill. So we do a really good job with that. And also, I must say, our Chapel Hill and Carborough um, municipalities do an excellent job in their recycling and repurposing. Um, they always look for ways to be more green in that regard as well. So. That's wonderful that you have a community partner that does that for charities that are listening today that maybe uh, are not a thrift shop or uh, are more office-based. Uh, Any uh, practical advice from your office setup that maybe you could share today? Sure. We, you know, the whole notion about turning off your lights at home. Um, I was listening to to the to the report earlier is so transferable to our office. It's a little hard. I mean, our office does it. Our administrative offices, we're really good about turning off lights. It's a little harder to do when you're in a in a shop setting uh, because, you know, every room of your shop is being used. But we do, we do a fairly decent job um, of making sure that as we enter, a, as we leave a room, we do, um, you know, turn off lighting. Uh, we we recycle junk mail, paper products, which we get a lot of. And part of also part of the greening um, of our organization is that when things get donated to us that we can use, for example, office supplies, that keeps us from having to purchase office supplies, and you know especially paper. And so I consider that part of our kind of greening of our organization, because the if paper products that are you know, that aren't recyclable are being donated to us, why not use them? That keeps us from having to purchase anything else that's not recyclable. And so we, we kind of add that to our um, to our greening of our organization. These and are all course, wonderful you know, tips. The, I can't thank you enough, uh, Barbara Jesse Black, the Executive Director of PTA Thrift Shop in North Carolina, for joining us today and sharing with us some practical tips and the focus that your organization has on going green. I'm sure that you'll be an inspiration to a lot of our listeners today uh, who may be looking towards green nonprofit certification, uh, may be looking for practical advice on going green. Thank you for joining us today. You're, you're very welcome, and thank you.
You bet. Next up here and wrapping up here on the Page One News, uh, you'll find over in the radio links today another uh, set of really great advice from Care2. Care2 also shares with you, and in the uh, radio links today, you'll find seven green office moves. Uh, just some of the ideas here that, of course, are important and discussed here on the Green Show so often uh, is to print on recycled paper, Print on both sides of the paper. Recycle your ink and toner cartridges. Use your company's power-saving and energy-saving mode uh, to set your computers to go to sleep after a short period of time. Use laptop computers. Laptop computers um, about one use about one-quarter of the energy of a desktop computer, uh, so that's a, a great way to cut back on energy use. Uh, to rely on smart strip power strips uh, to go for recycled and eco-friendly uh, office supplies, and those are some of the seven uh, items that are covered here. Uh, and, of course, you can read all about that in the radio links today, both at greennonprofits.org under resources and at tedhart.com under radio links. With that, it's now time for us to move straight on to page two. <laughs> My pleasure today here on page two of the Green Show, special magazine edition of the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, to welcome Robin Hessinger, who is Care2's editor-in-chief. She says in her bio as a veggie-loving yogini and Reiki uh, practitioner, Robin is passionate about holistic health uh, and wellness, green living, and animal advocacy. She believes that everyone can make a difference, and that certainly is the focus here on the nonprofit coach, uh, The Green Show. As editor-in-chief at Care2, Robin leads Care2's content strategy and execution, including editorial focus, content acquisition, and overall site integration. Robin has extensive international experience. She holds a BA in communications, media studies from Loyola Marymount University. She is an expert around the world and here in the United States, and today she's here with us on The Nonprofit Coach. Welcome here to The Nonprofit Coach, The Green Show, Robin Hessinger. Hi, Ted. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Great to have you here. I think this is such an important show uh, for nonprofits. We really want to focus on the knowledge that uh, that you have uh, about practical steps, and that really is our focus, sort of greening 101, those things that practically any organization can do, regardless of size of budget, to really make a difference for the environment. But I, I want to start off with day, today with sort of a, an exciting thing that I, I learned about you. Uh, you recently met President Obama. Now, what was the circumstances of that and the focus of your visit? Yeah, Teddy, it was a wonderful experience. I was one of 25 digital media executives that was invited to the White House for the first ever Women's Online Media Summit. And so there were a number, well, obviously 25 different media outlets represented, including AOL, Yahoo, MSN, uh, Oprah.com, MarthaStewart.com, uh, Essence, uh, Women's Day. So just a, a fabulous group. Um, and we were at the White House to talk about how online media affects women, um, how women are engaging online and engaging with the government so that they're better informed and more active citizens. And the summit also touched on some of the organization's key initiatives um, ar around the Council on Women and Girls, health care, the First Lady's Let's Move initiative, uh, education, the economies, excuse me, the economy, uh, opportunities for women business owners. Uh, and it was just a, a fabulous group and a great honor to be there. Uh, President, well, we had a tour in the morning, a private tour, which was a lot of fun. Um, kind of a nice place to live, you know, the White House. And uh, <laughs> we even even met the, uh, the first dog, Bo. Um, and then we went into a, a briefing room for the rest of the day and uh, – talked again about policy issues, um, things that the administration is doing, things that our organizations and in the media are doing. And President Obama came in and spoke to us. Um, and one of the things he said that really struck me was that between our 25 websites, 
we are probably touching nearly all the women in America, which was just profound um, and uh, and kind of huge when you think about it. Um, so it was, and he's wonderful in person. So he um, met each of us individually and uh, was uh, was very warm and welcoming. And it was exciting that the the White House was doing this as well. It's the first time that they've had a, an online women's media summit, and the and the first time they've had a, an online um, office of engagement. So they're they're really focusing on the online world as, as because it's important. You know that's that's where uh, that's where a lot of people are these days online. <laughs> exactly, and and uh, some people still remember newspapers. Um, so there's uh, certainly a shift in uh, in media. So collectively, what the president pointed out is the power of your groups. Anything that came of that in terms of this rare opportunity for all these uh, women-oriented sites to uh, come together and even collaborate. I definitely see more collaboration in the future. There's already some uh, initiatives that we've uh, that we've collaborated on in terms of again a lot of the the Let's Move initiatives, the initiatives around women and girls, um, and with Care2. Care2 is a social action network as well as a, an educational resource uh, with articles and blogs, petitions, and, and we can talk more about about the details of CARE2. But it's a great opportunity uh, to be kind of first to hear about what's going on with the administration, um, connect with other media outlets, engage women online, and also be able to give feedback to the administration um, on on people's perspectives and opinions and what is working and, and in some cases what isn't working. So uh, segueing from that, um, I'd, like, I'd like to just ask you to share with our listeners today collectively of those sites, you, you know, the president has pointed out sort of the collective power of those sites. Where does uh, nonprofit organizations, charitable organizations, and collectively the environment uh, rank in terms of topics that are of interest to women and perhaps are even of interest to these sites? Yeah, you know, it's huge. It's a huge issue with women. And I care too. Um we have more than 16 million members globally and more than 75% of our members are women. Um women women trust online communities and they want information that is targeted to them. Um and women are passionate about the their personal environment their home, their families, and then that extends out to their community, uh, the parks, the the area that they're in, as well as, you know, the world and beyond, or beyond and the world, I should say. So it, women are a huge part of the environmental movement. They're a huge part of the online movement, and they're huge at CARE2 in the sense that we've got more than 75% um, of our of our members are women. So let's um let's talk uh, specifically about care too. Let's uh, I wanted to start off because not everybody gets a chance to meet President Obama or even all the uh, the wonderful uh, sites that uh, are are your peers um uh, in this uh, sort of women's cohort uh, that the the president brought together. So let's sort of wind back a little bit and make sure that our listeners know uh, what is care too and what benefit might that have uh, to our discussion today specifically about helping nonprofits go green. Sure. Thanks, Ted. And, of, of course, I'd love to talk about CARE2. Uh, we are a social action network that empowers its community of more than 16 million members to lead healthy, sustainable lifestyles and at the same time support socially responsible causes. So we offer our content offering includes original stories, blogs, articles from our trusted syndication partners, covering a wide range of healthy and green living lifestyle areas and causes ranging from health and the environment to human rights and animal welfare. And we also engage people through petitions, pledges, daily actions, contests, and even click-to-donate sites. So there are so many ways uh, when you come on care to that you can make a difference. And, and how, how do uh, charities... 
uh, our listeners today utilize sort of that, that force to support their own operations, but more importantly, as an information resource uh, for information on going green? Sure. Well, I'd say, first of all, that right now CARE2 is the largest and fastest growing social action network. Our growth has been over 175% in unique visitors year over year. We also own and operate the number one petition site, which is the petitionsite.com, and that generates over 20 million signatures, uh, well, 20 million in the past months, uh, past 12 months, and we're also on Facebook. So our reach there is, I guess, our global reach is to over 200 million people. Um, we work with more than 700 nonprofit partners to get the word out about different environmental causes, social causes, human rights causes, and we've had, oh, let's see, 16 million petition signatures in 2010 and over 60 million petition signatures total. So working with these 700-plus nonprofits, we're getting the word out on a number of different issues, uh, petitions, pledges, causes, and also offering ways for for them to get involved, either through signing a petition, signing a pledge, uh, or reading uh, reading an article on the site um, that gives them information about how they can get involved, either in their in their personal life or in their community. And you sure do have a lot of uh, very important information in the radio links today. Uh, I'm sure that you uh, uh, heard that we shared a couple of very specific uh, pages, and and it's very practical advice, and that's really what we want to glean from you today um, are some of those tips that you have. Uh, as I often point out uh, to folks on this show and when I'm lecturing uh, related to uh, my book, The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green, uh, is it's not about becoming crunchy green. It's not about every aspect of your organization, but it's those practical steps that you take that add up to very meaningful movement uh, in the nonprofit sector. Um, so let's let's kind of you know go back to the Care2 site uh, in terms of where might that content be and how is Care2 organized uh, to help its visitors uh, gain access to this kind of information. Sure. When you come to, and yes, nobody wants to be considered crunchy or granola, do they? Sustainable, well, yes. Well, I, I think but... some people do. I, I just think that for the average charitable organization, my my perspective is that when you've got so much on your plate, you're trying to fund your cause, you're trying to keep the doors open and provide good service, um, you know, our surveys show that the percentage of nonprofits that would like to be seen as green is very, very high. But their knowledge base and their ability to have it become a priority for the organization is often difficult. Ted, I totally agree and and com totally understand and, and completely agree. And that is the focus of our site, to have practical, uh, straightforward steps, e steps that are easy for individuals to take, for businesses to take. And so if you come to the Care2 homepage, there are a number of areas on the site, causes, news, take action, community, e-cards, and healthy and green living. So if you click on the healthy and green living tab at the top and you go into that section, the first thing that you're going to see on the left nav is green 101. And that has thousands of tips on uh, the basics of going green. Um, Anything, you know, any questions you might have about what it means to be green or why something is is green um, or what to do about something practical, practical solutions in Green 101. And then our focus within Healthy and Green Living is sustainability, holistic health and wellness, living greener, and in many cases, living simpler as well. Well, and, and that and that does carry over. I think it can carry over if there's a focus on on the part of a charitable organization to carry over some of those aspects of your own personal life uh, into your office life. But what are some of the pitfalls that you can help our listeners today, maybe either anticipate or be able to work around in terms of what might make it difficult to be green in the office? Well, I think one is just the perception that it can be overwhelming or that it has to be really big things, or that um, as an individual, um, 
that that you're relying on a company rather than taking individual steps, but every individual can make a difference in their organization. And, you know, we have a number of different suggestions um, in the article that you pointed out in your page one news uh, in the first segment of your show. Um, we also have things like the basic things, right? Bringing your own lunch to work in a reusable bag instead of getting takeout. Bringing your own coffee mugs or cups. Uh, in our Care2 office, we have, um, you know, dishes that we, dishes and silverware that we wash here um, rather than using plastic. Um, there's also the, the whole paper issue and recycling, using recycled paper, and also how much do you really need to print? So much of what we do now can be done online. Um, and when you're sending around emails, do you really need to print out those emails? So just being conscious of things like that and then helping spread that consciousness throughout the office um, and throughout the organization. And then on a larger scale, there's things like carpooling, ride-sharing, public transportation vouchers, or the, um, you know, some states will give you vouchers with uh, pre-tax dollars for using public transportation. And telecommuting is another uh, another option. Video conferencing instead of traveling all the time. How do you, how do you it, prioritize some of these? These are very practical advice uh, pieces of advice, and I want to sort of drill down into some of these. Uh, but where do you prioritize or where, you know, for the average uh, listener today uh, who's sitting in their office saying, gee, I really would like us to be able to elevate this interest in, uh, in going green, but, but where do I start? Yeah, start small. Start with the smaller steps. Start with the things that you can do yourself. Right, whether it's bringing your own coffee mug, bringing your own lunch, or if you're ordering food, we bring in, uh, we eat together on a Friday, and we bring in food, and we bring in food from a local business um, that usually has, you know, local ingredients, local produce. We also um, we also have community supported agriculture here, so if you can get a CSA food box, so we have local produce for snacks. For example, uh, we also um, give out care to uh, reusable water bottles. But it's really about starting with the things that you can start with on a personal level and then expanding it out to coworkers and the rest of your company and and su suggesting, you know, if there's something that's working for you, suggest the initiative for your company. Well, and th and those those are great places to start, and and oftentimes I'm wondering what what you think about this is sort of I've used sort of the the low hanging fruit is sort of in the purchase area as you mentioned, you know, purchasing locally, purchasing recycled um, uh, products, um, and also recycling in the office. Are are those good uh, good places, or are there some other things that that are relatively simple that can sort of get the ball rolling? Those are definitely those are great steps to get started. Those are absolutely great steps to get started. And then as you go forward, I think the more people that are engaged in this, the more people realize it's part of your business, then you know, there's even more things that can be done like composting, right? So taking the leftover food or the used coffee grounds and having a compost bin. Um, I know some organizations that have a small office garden. Now, obviously not everybody has space for this or time for it, but the organizations that they do also say that it's very therapeutic and it gives them a little bit of time together um, outside the normal scope of their day where they're outside, they're gardening, they're brainstorming, and they're doing something um, that feels really good. Now, again, that's that's probably a bigger step. But some other things um, that we've done are green volunteering as a group. Uh, recently it was World Oceans Day, and uh, Care2 team members went out and did cleanup of a, of a waterway. So, again, those are probably some, I guess, bigger things, but when you're starting with the recycling the office paper and you have a little note up there that says, please, you know, a note above the printer that, that says, are you sure you need to print this or please be conscious of, of what you're printing, um, little things like that make a difference. 
sometimes it's, it's, it's those little notices and reminders that says collectively this is sort of a group activity, not sort of one person's job, um, can make exactly. a big difference. Do you agree? Exactly. That's exactly it. Robin, we're going to take uh, just a little bit of a break, um, but when we uh, come back from the break, I really want to ask you to help our listeners understand the role of the board of directors and the leadership, sort of the, the executive office. And if a very small organization, just the executive director, but where, what is their role in all of this? Is it sort of a, a bottom-up or a top-down that's really going to uh, succeed for organizations? Uh, we'll be right back from the break. today. It's really my pleasure to share with you uh, a little clip from a very important person connected with green nonprofits. That's our summer intern. Our summer, summer intern, Lisa Redeker, uh, would like to get a chance to share a little message about green nonprofits certification. Let's take a listen. Hello, my name is Lisa Redeker, a student intern with the Green Nonprofit Organization. I am thrilled to have this opportunity to speak today on the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart's monthly magazine radio show called The Green Show. A little about me. This fall, I will be a junior at Chippensburg University in Pennsylvania, where I am majoring in communications and journalism with an emphasis in public relations. My internship with Mr. Hart is off to a great start. I am focusing my energy on his green initiative project with greennonprofits.org. What I've already learned is that each nonprofit listening today can make such a big difference in helping our environment by making small changes to their business operations. As a young professional, I am so glad there is an organization dedicated to helping all charities become more green. Go to the website greennonprofits.org for more information on green nonprofit certification. It is best to make small changes to start and build towards bigger accomplishments. I have really enjoyed getting involved with the Green Nonprofit Certification and Recertification Initiatives. You will see the fruit of my work as new documents are posted before fall 2011. If you are already part of the certification process, you will be getting a call from me soon. If not, please call me at 888-99-GREEN. That is 888-994-7336. I would love to chat with you about helping your organization become a certified green nonprofit. It is an honor to have the chance to be a part of the Green Nonprofits movement. Don't forget to visit us at greennonprofits.org. Thank you all for giving me an opportunity to chat with you today. Have a great summer. And thank you very much, Lisa, for all the hard work that you're doing in the office for the Green Nonprofits organization. We're going to head right back to the show. Robin, uh, uh, Lisa Redeker, the uh, office intern uh, for uh, GreenNonprofits.org, brought up a, a very good point about uh, certification and, and this being sort of a, a team effort uh, for organizations. What is the role of the leadership and the board of directors? I, I guess, is this top-down, bottom-up? How, how does an organization actually get itself organized to become green? You know, I'd say, Ted, it works both ways. So sometimes it is the small things like the recycling of paper or printing less, using less paper that helps the executives of an organization realize the cost savings for being – because a lot of people think going green costs more, but in a lot of areas, uh, consuming less, sustainability, recycling actually saves money. So sometimes it's the smaller steps. Like I said, the printing less paper or recycling, and then you're saving money on printer costs as well as paper costs. And it, when the executives realize that, then it helps them to see that these things are possible and that more can be initiated. It's also, um, I hate to say top-down, but it's also a top-down sort of thing where the leaders of an organization need to be setting an example as well. Right. If somebody's coming in with um, a paper coffee cup every day and a plastic bag and you know things like this, and is and is uh, printing out uh, fifteen or fifty page documents, then it sends the message to the rest of the organization that that's okay. So 
sometimes it, it also takes the leaders of an organization to be making those moves, um, to be implementing office-wide or company-wide policies, or to to be the one to uh, to get to bring in canvas tote bags for an organization or something like that. Something that is small but sends a message to the organization that we're going to be more sustainable. We're going to be more conscious of the products we use, of the you know the amount that we're using, the amount that we're consuming. Um, and you know your first um, guest in page one talked about. Uh, waste and and what to do with the waste. So, being more conscious of of using less and therefore wasting less. And a lot of times that is it is the leaders of the organization that that need to be setting an example. But in saying that, anyone in the organization can. I do believe anyone in the organization can make a change and can suggest composting or can uh, suggest. Uh, reusable bags can suggest doing more online and and less paper um, can suggest a carpooling or a ride share uh, program for their organization or for their their local area. So I, I think a I couple of the that things that came up on on page one certainly dovetail with that. And and you know one uh, I, I really took notice of you know Kathy Barnes, uh, senior VP at Accridge. Uh, in D.C., and, and where she said that uh, you know, the buildings that she's working with save up to a third of their energy costs. And of course, energy costs keep going up, so wherever you can save in energy, that's huge. That's got to get the attention of a board of directors or an executive. Uh, if you can add up those, those changes, such as turning off lights and using computers differently and things of that sort that really do hit the bottom line. Definitely, absolutely. Anytime uh, an executive, anytime the board of directors sees the cost savings, um, it's an obvious benefit, and it's a way to con continue doing those things. Definitely. So, so I, I happen to agree with you that that I, I do think that it is important uh, to have the leadership sort of model this, even if they're not you know, the greenest person, uh, but I do think that staff members notice when someone is, is wasting paper, wasting energy, or being sort of cavalier about the use of resources. Um, just because they're the executive doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they, they have the right uh, to do that. And that's quite a different model than someone who is very consciously, and, and, and not to be showy, but, you know, turns off the lights themselves, is very conscious of don't print that, uh, things of that sort that, that sets that tone. Yeah, it definitely it's you know, I guess it goes back to to leading by example or or again to um again if you're I go back to the plastic bags thing. You know, it just it says it's okay. You know, and I I think that um being able to demonstrate in in the small ways as well as in bigger ways uh what companies can do is huge. Um, and we're lucky at Care2 to have a CEO who, uh, our founder and CEO, embodies these things. You know, we have um, canvas tote bags for the farmer's market, Care2 tote bags. We have Care2 uh, water bottles, so people aren't walking around with plastic water bottles. Um, and we have a lot of uh, energy efficiencies around the office, um, and we have the, the transportation vouchers. So or the, the pre-tax dollars for uh, for public transportation. So we're very fortunate here at CARE2 that we have um, a CEO, Randy Painter, who embodies uh, these things. And I think it makes it easier when you have that to, to get on board. And, and part of uh, your your site, Care2, uh, as you mentioned, under Healthy and Green Living, uh, you do have a section of Green 101. Part of that... Uh, is green tech. Um, can you share with us some of your favorite tips in the in the green tech section? Because I, I dare say there's probably not a single charity that's listening today uh, that doesn't have some aspect of their business tied to the use of technology. Yeah, you know, there's there's a number of things. You know, it can be anything from um, hybrid and electric vehicles. For commuting, it can be uh, solar, 
being in a LEED certified building. Um, it can be, um, yeah. I'm, <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's lots. There's lots of different ways to do that. One of our favorite uh, uh, tips that uh, that we share um, is you're getting your board in the habit of of uh, gathering documents online, collaborating with uh, uh, information online, and and even using uh, such uh, things such as conference calls. Uh, and things of that sort to reduce the travel of even the board of directors or volunteer groups. Uh, and so, Robin, I'm just going to remind our listeners today of uh, terrific uh, free services that are available in the technology area uh, from Google. So uh, join me in taking a listen. Every day, millions of people are online, many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call-to-action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization, such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today. These kinds of tools become very important to charitable organizations, particularly those that might be available free. Uh, because wouldn't you agree, Robin, part of the whole green equation is not just uh, changing uh, or buying things or buying things differently, but also adding efficiency to your operations. Definitely, efficiency is key, and I think you know, like you said, the the video conferencing, and anytime you can reduce your travel expenses. I mean, obviously, it's wonderful to be face to face, but you can do that as well through video conferencing, uh, reducing your travel expenses that way, and reducing the impact on the environment that way. Um, one of the other things, and this is kind of a a side step, but one of the things that we didn't talk about and and can be a, a big impact. And one of the things we're very focused on in CARE2 are, are non-toxic products, so um, non-toxic cleaning products. And one of the things that a nonprofit who's trying to be more green, that's trying to be more green, might consider is the cleaning products they're using in their building, the cleaning services that they, that they have. And and that's a big focus for for greening on care too, which I realize And Robin, that not, doesn't need to be a difficult process. It just needs to be one that you're very conscious of and very deliberate about making those kinds of changes. Is that right? It's exactly it, Ted. It's conscious decisions. Conscious decisions either about what you're buying, what you're spending, what you're using, um, or like you said, the the teleconferencing and and travel expenses, um, being conscious of it is really the key. Now, I want to um, draw attention back. Well, first of all, thank you for, for sharing with our listeners today that care2.com can be a resource for getting information on those uh, non-toxic ways to change the way that you clean your office. And that, that really becomes a big environmental concern, uh, particularly in smaller offices in a very confined space uh, in thinking through those, those environmental implications of, of just trying to clean that space. Um, but I want to shift gears just a little bit and help our listeners today understand uh, the impact of uh, what you call care to actions um, and maybe some success stories about charities that have successfully used that. Yeah, super. 
Um, we had, as I mentioned, um, we had o over 16 million. Um, sorry, I got sidetracked here on my success stories. Uh, yeah, actually, we had a recent success story with um, I know your guest before is from North Carolina, and we had a success with the governor of North Carolina who um, was going to be cutting some environmental funding out of the budget. And because of a petition on CARE 2, those funds were not removed from the budget. And it would have affected mountains, lakes, rivers, parks. So something like that is a big win. Um, we also have uh, actions. We have a lot of uh, animal welfare actions on our site and um, nonprofits that uh, that work on behalf of environment, wildlife, animals, um, and so we work on local issues as well as large-scale international issues. Uh, on a local level, uh, a great win was Tony the Tiger. Uh, Tony was a Siberian or is a Siberian Bengal tiger, and he lived uh, in a cramped roadside cage at a truck stop in Louisiana. But because of the tenacity of the Animal Legal Defense Fund and more than 70,000 petition signatures on CARE 2, Tony the tiger is now free. So he'll be headed to a sanctuary that will provide an environment where he can heal from the experience and live a more normal tiger life. Um, we also worked, um, we have a number of global or international issues. So on the international front, we worked with the family of James Foley, one of the captured journalists in Libya. We petitioned the State Department, and as public pressure increased and signatures uh, grew on the petition, the journalists have been released, and they're now back in the U.S., and that petition had over 35,000 signatures. Um, so sometimes for a charitable organization, there's an advocacy aspect uh, to their work, and CARE2 becomes uh, a partner in that in that process. Is that right? Exactly. We have more than 700 nonprofit partners that we're hosting petitions for, and we have um, – We've had a number of of big wins um, with those nonprofits, which is, you know, it's it's so great to be to be making a difference and to be helping the nonprofits get the word out on on what they're doing. We also partner with citizen activists, so we have a number of citizen petitions on our site. So if there is something an individual is passionate about, something that they feel needs to change, then they can host a petition on CARE2 as well. That's uh that that's really terrific. So for the for our listeners today, you become an advocacy partner and an information resource. Is that a good way to characterize why charities would turn to CARE2? Yeah, that's an excellent excellent way to characterize. And so we have, you know, we have articles um and blogs about the different causes, about the different issues or tips um around a, a specific issue and then we also have petitions that are linked to those uh to those cause blogs or to those healthy and green living articles that then take you to a place where you can take action whether it's um saving bees um from uh, an, an insecticide that's being used um or something like um encouraging Costco to become the leader in sustainable food um, you know, asking companies to do the right thing. So, for an example, we ran a petition with Greenpeace asking Costco to change the fish that it sold in stores. And they're one of the largest suppliers of fish in the U.S. So getting them to agree to be more sustainable in their fishing practices really sets a new standard for the industry and can have a trickle effect for what other stores are doing. And so if, you know, if a citizen has a concern like this or if a nonprofit like Greenpeace wants to work towards something like this, they come to CARE2, we run articles, we host petitions, we host pledges, and it gives um, it gives visibility for the issue, for the organization, and gives individuals the opportunity to make a difference. 
Well, let's uh, let's carry forward on on that uh, on that topic because we do have a uh, an email here from uh, Ben in Detroit, um, and I, I gather from your email, Ben, that that you've sort of been put in charge of greening, um, and he's he's asking about uh, purchasing local versus uh, purchasing over the internet. Oh, that's an excellent question. Yeah, and we would encourage local whenever possible. Um, especially like, you know, one of the things that I mentioned was our, our CSA farm boxes. So we get produce delivered here uh, locally every week. There's Part of it is for office snacks, and then part of it um, are individuals that go in on these boxes. Um, so we try and get local supplies whenever possible. And sometimes, I mean, you can even, for convenience sake, you can order them online, but they're coming from um, a, a local distributor, which is cutting down the transportation uh, costs and the impact on the environment. And it's also promoting and sustaining local businesses, which is, is and, a win for everyone. What, what kind of impact can that can that have budget-wise? I mean, is that necessarily by its very nature more expensive, or is it possibly an additional way to save to the bottom line? You know, I think there is a perception that it's more expensive, but often there are discounts for nonprofits. So. Uh, that's that's the first thing to look into is whether they offer a, a discount for a nonprofit. Um, but I think it's more of a perception that it can be uh, more expensive. And also, many local businesses are willing to negotiate, right? I mean, they, they want the business as well. Um, and if they're going to have a regular customer or a regular delivery of something, uh, then they're often willing to negotiate and often willing to give discounts to nonprofits. You shared so much uh, really important information today here on the show, really practical advice uh, for charities. Robin, it's always amazing to me how fast uh, time goes on this show. Looking at the last few moments that we have here, I'm wondering if you could share uh, some other trends that you've seen other organizations uh, in their uh, attempts to become more green, things that you think uh, maybe stand out. Sure. I think that... um Again, taking some of those small steps and then that we talked about with uh, sustainability and, and then moving into to, to larger steps. Um, but one of the, the great things, and it's such a nice segue because, because of your first guest and, and talking about waste, um, there's a number of companies that are now doing things um, with waste. So uh, reusing, recycling, a great example of that would be Back to the Roots, which is a sustainable urban mushroom farm. And so what they do is they use uh, recycled or used coffee grounds in their uh, grow-it-at-home mushroom kits that they that they distribute. And so I think they vowed to use like a million pounds of coffee grounds, of Pete's coffee grounds, this year alone um, for these uh, grow-it-yourself mushroom kits. And there's another organization um, that is using um, waste products um, to uh, grow strawberries. So there's all sorts of ways um, So that, uh, that we're now looking at um, what we're using, and, and after we're done using it, what to do with it and, and using it in a more sustainable manner. Well, one of the things that, that I really appreciate your time here on the show today, Robin, is you've shared uh, very concrete tips that are very obviously uh, able to be done uh, by urban charities, uh, but also shared some that may be more appropriate uh, to more rural charities. And, and, I, and I think oftentimes one or the other feels that they've got the upper hand. It's easier to be green in a rural setting or easier to be green uh, in an urban setting. Maybe the, the grass is always greener on the other side, but I, I think today the practical advice that you've provided has really been very helpful to our listeners. I can't thank you enough. Let's wrap up the show today by uh, making sure that everybody here knows how to reach Robin Hessinger. Great. Yeah, we're at care2.com, C-A-R-E, the number two, dot com, and you can find Healthy and Green Living, Ways to Take Action, Petitions, our great online community of more than 16 million members, um, 16 million passionate, active people like yourselves, 
Um, and you can also find us on Facebook, on our Facebook Care2 fan page, and on Twitter. That's terrific. Well, great opportunities. And anybody who missed any of that, we do have links in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Click on radio links directly to Care2. Thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach, the special monthly magazine, The Green Show, uh, Robin Hessinger. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Ted. It's been a pleasure. Take care, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Don't forget the next Profit Coach radio show is on Monday, not Tuesday next week, because it's a very special rescheduled show for the national first look in the announcement of the Giving USA report. So join us right back here at 12 noon Eastern on the Nonprofit Coach. See you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Take care, everybody. Bye. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.